Speaking of Luke, if you have your Bibles with you, open them to Luke. I can't believe it, but we're in chapter 9. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> chapter 8 was incredible. Uh, I, I hope you enjoyed it. I, I, I must say I love the Gospel of Luke, um, but I had never seen chapter 8 as that powerful. Um, remarkable passages, remarkable story. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 9. I'm going to read the passage as our pattern this morning. I'll pray one more time, and then we're going to unpack this wonderful passage beginning in Luke chapter 9, verse 1. Luke records these words, and he, Jesus, called the twelve together. And he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing with you for your journey, no staff, no bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not even have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all these things and all that was happening, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. And Herod said, John, I beheaded. But who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. This is the Word of God. Let's pray together. Father, once again, we come before you uh, needy. (laughs) Holy Spirit, uh, we need you to speak to us and um, give breath to these words this morning so that our, our hearts would be transformed, so our minds would know how to think clearly. And we just pray that you would speak through what you've given to me, Father. I, uh, as I prayed earlier today, that there are times when um, it's good to feel weak, and today I feel weak. So I pray that you would use this in a mighty way, as only you can. And I pray these things in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. So as I mentioned, we, we began this gospel last December, first week of December. We took a break for... Um, uh, a couple of, uh, during the summer and so forth for a couple of weeks at, at different times. But we've seen really basically two uh, clear themes going on in this gospel to this point in time, and they're going to continue. Uh, the, the one theme that has been really clear is we, we first, of course, remember that Luke's main objective, main objective, and he tells you at the beginning of the gospel, as he does at the beginning of the book of Acts, is that he has a dear friend whose name is Theophilus. And I love this because it's It's clear witness and testimony that that's what we're to do. We're to witness and testimony to people who are dear friends. And and he's been writing this account, this orderly account, he says to his good friend Theophilus, because I want you to have certainty, certainty, and specifically about this, because that's the theme that we've been seeing, this one theme throughout the whole thing. And we're going to see it again today. We already read it in the words of Herod the Tetrarch, and that is certainty about who Jesus is. 
That's what we've been seeing for nine chapters, eight chapters so far, is that Jesus goes and performs miracle after miracle. Angels declare that he's the son of God. The demons even declare that he is the son of the most high God. And yet people are still going, who is this guy? Who is he? It's a theme. It's a theme today. 2,000 years out, people are still asking, who is he really? I mean, who is he really? This story that was written 2,000 years ago. But the other great thing, the other great theme throughout this whole uh, gospel, and really through all of the gospels, is the kingdom of God, right? It's about the kingdom of God breaking out in this world. I mean, Matthew records that I love his record when, when Jesus comes back from his temptation in the wilderness, uh, victorious over Satan and his temptations. And Matthew records Jesus' first words as this, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand meaning it is now breaking out in your very presence because I'm here. That's the theme. That's the overarching theme of the Gospels. Everything that Jesus has been doing since he began his public ministry has been about the mission, and the mission for Jesus is this, the expansion of the kingdom of God. You know, sometimes we get it mixed up. We think that Jesus' goal was the church, He just wanted to establish churches and get you all coming to church on Sunday and giving and all that kind of stuff. That's important, all of those things. But no, the the church, as we've learned in our study of what it means to be the church, is, is the vehicle to the expansion of the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus was all about. And, and I keep coming back to this, and I'm going to begin with it this morning, and we're going to end with it again, but I keep coming back to it. And I think some of you are thinking, Glenn, do you not know any other prayer in the Bible, right? But, but when the disciples asked Jesus, how we sh- should we pray, Jesus said to them these words, right? He said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Look at this, your kingdom come. So first, God, mighty God, I acknowledge you. You're the one true God. Oh, your kingdom come on earth. Your will be done, pardon me, on earth as it is in heaven. So that's the first part of our prayer should be that. And so this is why Jesus came, which was to redeem and to restore his creation. What he spoke into existence, that's why he came, to bring his rule and reign into our lives and world so that we might be, yes, forgiven, but also healed and restored to our relationship with our God. And so what we've also learned in Luke is that there are really only two kingdoms in this world, aren't there? Right? I, I got news for our Saudi friends. Be very careful about calling it the kingdom. <laughs> there is only really one true kingdom, but we know that from the Scripture there are two kingdoms at work in this world, and one of them is not those guys. The two kingdoms are the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God. The battle with the kingdom of darkness began when Jesus arrived, right? The very day that he was born is when that battle began. But then he goes into the wilderness where he's tempted by Satan, and he overcomes Satan in the way that Adam and Eve failed. He is successful. And, and really, at that point in time, the kingdom of darkness is doomed. Amen? And it's finally conquered, actually, at the cross. Really, it was conquered at the cross, but we also know that one day it will be vanquished when Jesus returns. And so it's an amazing thing that we've seen, really, about this kingdom. But I also want to suggest to you today, and we need to understand this as we look into this passage, there really is a third kingdom, isn't there? 
there is a third kingdom. Some would call it the middle kingdom, not middle earth, the middle kingdom. It's the third kingdom. It's the kingdom of me, myself, and I. It's the kingdom of you, even for us who are Christians. And, And how did that third kingdom come to be, you ask? Good question. I'm going to try to answer that for you. Well, it's simple. We, in Adam and Eve, just like Adam and Eve, we listened to the lie uh, from the king of the kingdom of darkness that there is something better than God's kingdom, that there's actually something better than the kingdom of God, which was the lie that we believed. He convinced Adam and Eve, and all of us for that matter, that if we will just focus on ourselves pursuing our own joy, our own satisfaction, and uh, fulfillment in life apart from God that we will live the best life now, a better life now. It's a lie, and that's what they did, and and we're all doing, I would suggest, since that time. So let me ask you this question. When you think about the third kingdom, and we're going to conclude with that a little bit today, how's that working for you? (laughs) Right? That's our dilemma, especially as Christians, isn't it? We, we come into Jesus Christ. We come into faith in Him. We're so thankful that we've been saved from hell, but we have this crazy idea in our mind that we can have one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the kingdom of the world, which is the kingdom of darkness, and that we're okay. Everything will work out okay. And my question again is, how's that working for you? Well, just like what happened to Adam and Eve, we're all, listen, come on, let's be honest, we're all broken, we're all messed up, And yet even Christians, even those who have received Jesus as their Lord and Savior, have and have Him resident in them, even we try to live life with one foot in each kingdom. And the sad thing is this, unless and until we walk with both feet in the kingdom of God, unless we are capable of doing that and we cannot do that in our own strength, we need Him, unless and until we do that, we will not experience the satisfaction, and the joy that this life can actually provide. Convinced? We'll keep going. So listen, that's Satan's greatest hope, actually, for you and for me. It's his greatest hope for those who have trusted Christ especially. His hope is that you and I will be deceived into thinking that when we make ourselves king, when, when we seek the third kingdom, his hope is we will not realize that we are really under his rule and reign. That we will be deceived into thinking that, no, 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 this is, this is God's will for my life. God wants me to be happy, doesn't he? That's his goal. Actually, I've said before, and I'll repeat it again, he actually has one goal, only one goal for every image bearer of God. And if you're breathing in this room today or online watching, you're an image bearer of God, and he only has one goal for you, and that is that ultimately you will die without Jesus Christ. That's option A. That's his one goal. But you know what he'll be satisfied with, Christian? Is he will be satisfied with you being functionally dead with Christ until you die. He'll be okay with that. Sadly, you will not be. And so that's what our text is going to show us today, some wonderful things about this kingdom that can bring us the satisfaction and the joy if we will just realize that we're in that kingdom and we will seek that kingdom first. So then listen, the question for you and I here today has to be this. 
Do you want to be king? Really? Or do you want to be part of the kingdom? And on mission with the king today and for eternity. I, I think you know in your heart of hearts what that answer is or should be, right? But we need to ask the question, do you want to be king? Right now, you might be going, well, no, after what you've just told me and what you're going to tell me from this text, of course not. Think about it tomorrow morning. Do you want to be king? So today, we arrive at, at a really a huge shift in the gospel. It's, it's a major shift in the gospel of Luke and in the ministry of Jesus and in his disciples, and it details very well for you and I what it looks like to be on mission with King Jesus every day of our lives. Your sermon title for today is Discipleship 202, subtitle, Called, Given, Sent. I want to show you three things, what you have in Christ Jesus. Number two, what you'll need, and thirdly, what you can expect. Let's look at the first two verses again from the text, and point number one, what you have. And he, Jesus, called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. To proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Sometimes people make the second one the objective or the most important thing. It's actually the first I want to suggest to you. So up until this point in this gospel, it's approximately 18 to 20 months in the life of Jesus since he's 30 years of age. So he's now like 31 and a half, right? And, and he's only 12 months, 24 months max away from the cross. Up until this point in time in the gospel, Jesus has been doing everything, right? He's been doing all the preaching, all the teaching, all the miracles, all the healing, right? All the leading, all the casting out of demons, all the raising from the dead. The disciples are just watching and coming along and being part of what he's doing. For 18 months, he does everything. But now on this day, the disciples are ready, in Jesus' opinion, for their first short-term missions trip. Pretty exciting. Pretty exciting. Well, we'll see. I think discipleship sometimes in the church is a... I'll tell you what. When it comes to pastors, they're always talking about evangelism and discipleship, right? What's it supposed to look like? And, and the reality is what we should do is we should not look at what learning and discipleship and training in the world looks like because it's actually kind of opposite to what we should be looking at, which is what Jesus does. Amen? The way he goes about it is very unique, really. I mean, my version is, like, I, I understood this. I was sharing with someone earlier today about, you know, in, in Toronto, I had to go to grade 13, you know, in high school, which was, you know, that last was supposed to be first year university. It's kind of, anyway, I'm looking forward to university, and I started looking at the syllabuses, syllabi, and all that, right? And I'm going, oh, so in first year, it's, you know, biology 101, right? And in second year, it's 202, 303, 404, right? And it's like, oh, I get it. First year, second year, third year, fourth year. It's a, and the way of academia, anyway, in our world today and learning is, no, no, first of all, what you need is you need to learn, you need knowledge before you go and do anything, right? And, and really, that's such a mistake in the church too, isn't it? It's like, yeah, before you can go and witness at work or, or anywhere, or you, need, you need theology, you know, for two or three years, right? You, you need Bible studies. You need to come to church, do Bible studies. You, don't go talking to your friends until you know what you're talking about. Has anybody gotten that impression from the church, right? But that's not the way Jesus did it at all. 
He, he basically pointed to a couple of fishermen. He said, you guys, right now, drop the boats, drop the, the fishing line and tackle and follow me. And then what did he do? Immediately, he took them on a road trip. Immediately, he takes them with him and he goes, okay, here's what's going to happen. For the next 18 months, you are going to see practically walking with me what ministry looks like. He preached and he taught. And so they did get some 101, 202, et cetera, teaching and instruction. But more, it was very practical. We're, we're fully going with you, fully trusting, all in with you. Wherever you're going, we're going, and you're doing it all for us, at least at that point, right? He's doing all the teaching anyway. So here at this crucial point, crucial point in his earthly ministry, Jesus now moves to discipleship 202. Basically, what he's saying is, okay, guys, now it's your turn. I'm going to go back to Nazareth and just walk around the villages a little bit by myself, but I'm going to send you. And what we see in these first two verses is really clear, isn't it? Jesus calls, right? He gives, he empowers, and he sends. And so I want you to see that because it's very important. First, he calls the twelve. He calls them together. Now, remember, th- this is so important. Th- these, are, these are 12 hand-picked individuals, 12 men that he hand-picked. But the, the thing that we must recognize about them is they really weren't special. N- none of them had MDivs, which in theological training world is master of divinity, right? Four years, excruciating years of learning Hebrew and Greek and all, all the rest of that, right? None of them had that. None of them were, for, were from the best rabbinical schools. None of them. They're fishermen, tax collectors, regular Joes, regular guys who worked at the plant, worked in the forest, whatever, chopping down trees. I mean, these were just regular guys. There's nothing exceptional about them. Peter makes that very clear every time he speaks. So that's the first thing that we know about them. But here's the thing. They've been following Jesus closely for 18 months. They've been following pretty much nobody else. They've really been leaning into him, and they've been listening to him. And so the next thing we see is today he calls them together, and then look at this. Secondly, please look at this. He gave them power and authority. Let me read that clearly for you. He gave them his power and authority. Because if he didn't, there is no way in the world they would have been able to do what they did. Right? That's what he gives to them. So come on, imagine this. Imagine this. Try to put yourself into that place, into these guys' heads at this point in time. And and you've been following Jesus around. You've seen and heard the power and authority that comes from him. You've seen what he's doing. And now he's saying to you, okay, I've called you guys together and I'm giving you my power and authority. And in just a second, thirdly, I'm going to send you. You imagine, come on, some of the guys must have been sitting there going, really? We, we have what you have? Is that not how some of us feel sometimes when we're told that we have the same Holy Spirit resident in us that Jesus had in him? It's not the way they responded, though, obviously. So you can imagine that this is amazing, and they must have thought at least at this point, this is pretty cool. This is pretty cool. We're, we're going we're gonna to go and do what he did? 
And, and again, we don't see it. We don't read it, although actually we will in conclusion see one thing. But it, it appears that they went boldly, went confidently, and had a great time. So Christian, please look at this and hear this. We need to believe this. And I know some of you in this room might be like, okay, I'm not that charismatic. You need to change. If you have, by faith, trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you do have the exact same power in you that He had in Him. The Holy Spirit of God is resident in you. Do you feel that? I don't all the time, but I should. So let's just look at a couple of things that Jesus said related to that that should give you this encouragement that you do have this power. You'll remember when Jesus said these famous words, we come back to them all the time, all authority, right, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's giving that to them again at this point where he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, remember this. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Just like I was here walking with you for the last three, three and a half years, I will be with you. But, and then he makes it even clearer in Acts chapter uh, 1, verse 8, where he's now just about to ascend and leave them. And he, then he says, you, gotta, you guys got to stay here in Jerusalem because something very important is going to happen. That power that I gave to you back in Luke chapter 9, he didn't actually say that, but he said, remember when I sent you out? He didn't say Luke chapter 9. That same power that I gave you for that occasion to go on that short-term missions trip is going to come upon you for good. Because he says in verse 8 of Acts chapter 1, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses, like you were on that short-term missions trip, in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Go and make disciples who make disciples. Replicate yourselves everywhere and all of you. So listen, you know what happened in Acts chapter 2, right? The day of Pentecost comes, and the Holy Spirit falls on the apostles, all the disciples that are there, actually, from all the nations that have come to Jerusalem, and, and with power, He displays Himself. In the most miraculous performance of power that's ever happened in history, other than the birth and resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into this world and says, there, that's the power that you have. And you now have it. So listen, friend, again, if you at some point in time have placed your faith in Christ, if you have given your heart to Him and you know you've been born again, you have that power. Convinced? Ready? Yeah. So let's also remember this, though. Jesus gave His life for you so that He could give His life to you, not so that you could be king, but so that He could live His life in you and through you. That's critical. I remember Jeff Vanderstelt, one of the guys that was at a course recently, he said this, he said, Jesus first must do a work in you before he can do a work through you. 
And that's what he was doing for those 18 months with these men. That's what some of you need to do who are young in your faith. You need to find another man or woman who's further along in their faith and their walk with Christ. And you need to ask them to disciple you. You need to go with them daily into the world, into ministry, and go out and be discipled. Not by them personally, but by Jesus who is in them. And then you need to be ready for some of the things we'll look at in conclusion today. So I love this, how this goes. Jesus calls them. He empowers them. I'll go back to the verses 1 and 2 on the screen for you. He calls them, empowers them, and of course, for what? He he empowers them so that they can now live a wonderful, kingly life unto themselves? (laughs) No. He empowers them so that they will go. And He sends them. He sends them in this world. And they're obedient, and they go. And so what do you have? What do you have? What do you in this room have if you have Christ Jesus? Well, you have been called, you have been empowered, and you have been sent too. This is not just for 12 select guys, right? This is for all of us who are called as Christians. It's kind of like that movie, if your mission, if you are willing to accept it, is this. So lastly, I also want you to see this. What are they sent with? What are they sent with? Well, they're sent with a message. <laughs> they're sent to do, and, and, and to every place they go, to do exactly what Jesus did, which is to proclaim that repentance is necessary if you want to enter the kingdom of God. And by the way, the kingdom of God is here now in this man, Jesus, who we've been following for 18 months. That's the gospel that they knew to that point in time. And that's what message they've been given to take into this world. And so they're sent to preach that message. And I'll tell you what, when when Jesus said, I'll give you power and authority, he he meant for the message too, right? That you would speak boldly and confidently about who Jesus is, and you would know enough to be able to say, you need to trust him. You really do. Don't have a hard heart towards God and the things of God. You need to allow God to soften your heart, and you need to come to Him, and we need to have that and know that we have that power. So that's number one. It's what you have. Number two is what you're going to need. I love this. It's very simple, but number two is what you're going to need. Verse three says this, and Jesus said to them, take nothing. Hmm. Take nothing for your journey. No staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. Now, what are we supposed to think of this? Like, how are we supposed to take what Jesus just said, right? Uh, I mean, he, he is essentially saying this, isn't he? Take nothing with you. <laughs> well, there's more to this, but first Jesus is, yes, saying, take nothing. Why is he doing this? Well, first of all, we need to understand this is, this is a short-term missions trip, right? They're only going to be gone 10 days, two weeks, That's first. But really, at the end of the day, he wants them to understand that you go, I will look after you. I will provide for all of your needs. You just, listen, I've called you. I've empowered you. I'm sending you. Go. I'll look after you. I'll provide for every need that you have on this short-term journey and the long-term. It's interesting. In Luke chapter 22, do you know what happens there? Jesus asks all of his disciples near the end, right? He says to them, he asks this question. Remember when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals? Did you lack anything? They responded in unison. Read for yourself. Luke 22, verse 35. They responded in unison and said, 
Nothing. Jesus follows up with this, doesn't he? He wants them to know and you and I to know that if we trust him and we go about his business, which is about the expansion of the kingdom, proclaiming the message of the kingdom to people who are lost in this world, he will provide for all of our needs. But as I also said, it's a short-term mission trip. I mean, many of you know that for a couple of years there, we are hoping we're going to go back next uh, fall. We go down to the Baja of Mexico for eight to ten days. I think it's eight or nine days. And we go down there to um, build a school, two-room school, right? And then we, last time we went down, we took like almost 30 people with us. And the idea is you've got to travel light, right? Like we've got to get into vans. We're all packed in these vans. Like basically on this mission trip, short-term mission trip, we're taking the bare essentials, I mean, it's convenient that it's pretty warm there, right? So we don't need, you know, down jackets and Gore-Tex and all the rest of it. We, we could travel light. But you have to. You need the essentials, including medicine. But anyway, that's another story. Some commentators also suggest here, though, that one of the reasons why Jesus did what he did here was because there, there were some Jewish teachers in the day um, who would go out, and, and they would use these opportunities to raise money for themselves, and, and they would take advantage of people that they were going to apparently help and to proselytize and teach and so forth. And Jesus wanted to have them avoid that. But then Jesus adds these interesting details to what they need. He says this, and whatever house you enter, stay there. I like that. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there, depart. And wherever, you do, wherever they do not receive you, When you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So he gives them basically two instructions as they're going. And the first instruction in this case is, listen, the first house that you arrive at in town that says, come on in, stay there. Don't look for a house that's got multiple bedrooms and, you know, like a hot tub and, you know, like it's kind of like the, 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 the really rich house in that town. No, the people who invite you into the home, no matter what that home is like, stay there. That's the first instruction that they're given. In other words, where you find hospitality, where you find welcoming people, isn't it interesting that in a lot of cases, the people who are most hospitable to strangers are people who don't really have a lot, but what they do have, they want to share? Stay there. Stay there. Stay with them. Secondly, and this is a hard lesson, but they were instructed by Jesus to treat those who, listen, rejected the message. Not, not them, but rejected the message. Then they were to take a public display, make some public display in this case, dusting off their sandals about that town, that people of the rejection of the message of the kingdom of the Messiah of Jesus Christ. So remember, they would be traveling in Jewish territory. So they got their calling, were empowered and sent, and then we read that they were very obedient. They just kept going from place to place. And it says in verse 6, and they departed when Jesus gave them this command and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now, again, I've been on a few um, short-term missions trips, and they're awesome. They really are. But I, can you imagine this one? <laughs> can, can you really imagine that? The, I mean, I, I got to believe they're just like you and I. They may have been a little bit lacking confidence when they started, but, you know, when, when people did open their doors and people were receptive to the message of the kingdom of God and, 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 and they were bringing them their sick and they were going, be healed, and they were healed, 
that would have been an incredibly encouraging missions trip, don't you think? That would have been incredible. I would have loved to have been on that, really. So that's what you need. Nothing. But Jesus. But the Holy Spirit. You've got him. Thirdly, what you can expect. Three things you can expect. Now, Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. So listen, first and foremost, this is hard to hear, but it's true. If you are truly on mission with Jesus and his church about the expansion of the kingdom of God every day, you can expect that people will hear what you're doing. That will include, include people in places of authority, in your work and in your community. But they, like Herod, in many cases, will be very perplexed. Why would that be? Well, different in those days than it is today, but I would suggest to you today, it would be because in many cases, they will have thought that since they have driven the Bible, and Christianity especially, and most religion for that matter, out of the public realm, they will find it very odd to hear that people are actually believing this stuff and are actually telling other people that they believe this stuff and are actually telling people that I'm reading my Bible and I believe what it says and I'm going to church and I'm inviting you to come with me. They're going to be very perplexed about that. It's just going to seem really odd don't you think? Ever experienced that out there? I think it is odd. And so they're going to be very surprised that you're going to church and then scattering as the church to bring the good news to the poor and freedom and liberty to the captives and those who are in bondage into this world. That's the first thing you can expect. My question for you is this. Are you known for that today? Are you? Are you known for that today? I love the old saying, if it were a crime to be a Christian in Squamish today, would there be enough evidence to convict you? (laughs) How about this? Ever been in a conversation with someone and you're having a conversation with them at a party, whatever it might be, and, and all of a sudden you find out that you have a mutual friend and they ask you, they say, well, how do you know that person? And you say, well, we go to the same church. And then they respond with, oh, I don't, I didn't know they go to church. Anybody? Yeah. Verse 9 tells us, Herod said, Listen, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see them. The second thing that you expect is some will actually want to see. Some will look and appear very interested. Some will maybe even invite you into their homes or, you know, like, like come to church or whatever. But it'll appear pretty quickly that really all they're trying to do at some point in time is find some way to debunk all this. Remember the soils? Hard soil, rocky soil, thorny soils. What's our tendency as a Christian? Get discouraged. Just give up, right? Again, that's what the enemy would like. But that's what we can expect. We can expect those things. 
But some, like we saw earlier, might actually invite you into their homes. Actually, what they might really do is invite you into their lives, at which point you can say, great, let's be friends, and you follow me while I follow Jesus. But you need to be following Jesus in that everyday life, right, in order to be of any good to them, really. So Jesus suggests what we do with those who don't want anything to do with it, don't want to hear it. And the way I like to put that is because it sounds pretty harsh, it is, but the way I like to put it is, listen, do your best, but move on. Like there is somebody else that might want to hear the good news. Don't just keep working and working and working against that, you know, with that person who keeps coming to your door trying to sell you a different religion. Move on. It's probably somebody in your home church that needs to be discipled and needs to grow in their faith with Jesus Christ. So the third thing is this. We see this in verse, actually, um, the next verse, actually, I'm going to put it up on screen, which I didn't read today, but verse 10a says this, and on their return, the apostles told him all they had done. And so the third thing that you can expect is, is that you're going to have lots of really good stories to share with Jesus and with the church. But there's an issue there. In order for that to be the case, well, there's two. One is you need to be going, and second is you need to be gathering with God's people on Sunday, and particularly in our church, in Missional Community Group, where you can, you can share. And when we get together on, on, on Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday night in our homes, one of the first things we should be asking each other is not how you doing, how you feeling, <laughs> but, okay, so what, what has happened in your life this past week with Jesus, and, and who you've been talking to, and, and tell us the stories. But that is one of the things that we can expect. So let me leave you in conclusion here this morning with a couple of things. I want to give you four takeaways that I hope you will hear me about today from this passage. They're challenging. You up for it? I think you are. Hmm. Number one is this takeaway that I think we should take from this today, and that is this. Friend, believe. Believe that you are called by God. Believe that you have the Holy Spirit in you, that you've been empowered and believe that you are being sent. Listen, it's who you are. It's your identity. Don't try to live like the old self, like the old person, like the person who wants to be king and is just following the kingdom of this world. Be who you're supposed to be. Because listen, at the end of the day, I think most of us want, to, want this. We want to have the full Christian life. Why? Why? When God is this good to us and Jesus is so amazing and and the Word of God is so true, why are we not experiencing it? Going probably has a lot to do with it, but also believing is a big part of it. I love when Paul writes the letters to the churches. He always writes the letters and starts off with something like, to the saints, to the saints, right? So in other words, when he writes letters like to the Ephesian church, he writes to the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Ephesus. And then he goes and teaches them, and he writes a bunch of great things. But in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, he, after building up his case about who you are, you're no longer this person. You've been blessed by God. You're now this person. He then, therefore, says in chapter 4, one of his great therefores, when he says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord Jesus Christ. I went past it, didn't I? Hang on. I missed. I don't have it on screen. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you, listen, to walk worthy, in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And, and so he repeats himself about calling. 
And he asks us and he challenges us to walk worthy of that. Second thing that I would encourage you with today is this. Go on a short-term mission trip. If you haven't been on one, you must. You really must. They're life-changing. You've been raised in a very successful and wealthy world. You need to go on a short-term mission trip. I'll tell you some of the, one of the exciting things you'll find is, is that you'll go with a bunch of people that you, you basically know, and two days in, you'll really dislike them, right? You'll be living in very close quarters in the battle of the ministry, but I'll tell you what, eight, nine days later, when you're at the airport, you'll be going, I love you. It's been so awesome being with you. We'll be friends forever. Let's create a Facebook group, okay? <clears throat> you need to go on one. If you haven't been on a one in a long time and your faith is struggling, go on another one. Thirdly, go on mission with your king every day. Go on mission with your king every day. I want to bring you back to that verse one more time. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me ask you this. Why would you pray that prayer if you don't mean it? Right? So what are you expecting? What am I expecting? You pray the prayer, dear Lord, cause your kingdom to come here in this world today. It's a really messed up world. Our politicians are crazy. Would you just please cause your kingdom to come? And what are we expecting? He's just going to go, boom, okay. Really didn't need you anyway. I'm going to cause it to happen. That would be a little bit like when we go on in that prayer and we pray, give us this day our daily bread. That would be a little bit like us thinking that, well, what we're going to do after I finish praying that prayer on the couch with my cup of coffee that I made for myself, when I go to the, the, the breakfast table, there's going to be some free-range eggs there and some tall tree bakery sourdough there. Just boom, it's going to be there. You see the point? Like, no. The point is, is that we're expected to go to work. <laughs> but we're praying in advance that he would give us our work, that he would give us our daily bread. But we got to go to work to make that bread, do we not? When we pray, Father, have your kingdom come. He's the one that's doing all the work in us and through us, but we are expected to go to work, to go into ministry. Lastly, number four is this. I'll leave you with this. Enjoy. (laughs) Enjoy your life in the kingdom every day. I love something that uh, Jeff Anderstelt said at the Saturate conference a week ago. He said this. He goes, listen, guys, I just want you to listen. If, if you're on mission with Jesus and Jesus is who we believe he is and that the kingdom of God is the best thing in the world and the best thing to come and the best thing forevermore, shouldn't this be fun? It should be the most fun thing that you do every day is be about the expansion of the kingdom of God, telling people about Jesus and living in his power and his strength. Amen? It should be the most fun, but here's the problem. We, we make it into drudgery. We make it into obligation. Why? I want to suggest to you one more time. It's because we're thinking about what's in it for us. I want to be king rather than being part of the kingdom and being about the mission of the kingdom. This is Discipleship 202. You are called. You have the power. Now Go. Now go. Pray with me, would you?